Welcome to Biota Live. I'm Tom Barbalay, and this is recorded live on TalkShoe on July 17th, 2009. For more information on the Biota podcasts, check out biota.org slash podcast. And for folks who are interested in calling in or participating in a Biota Live, we have an active chat room through TalkShoe, but if you want the call-in details, go to biota.org slash podcast, and you'll get the details through that as well. The next episode, July 31st at 8 p.m. Pacific, Applied Uses of Artificial Life in Science and Industry. And this carries on some of our news and notes. So I might as well just get into the news and notes and we'll talk a little bit about applied uses of artificial life in science and industry. Dick Gordon was in town last Friday and I met Natalie and, and Dick for a meal with my wife, Michelle, Dick has been traveling through the southwestern part of the U.S. and uh, through his travels uh, the night or perhaps the, you know, the night before the night before, he uh, spent an evening talking with Steve Grand. So by the, by the time he arrived in Las Vegas, he and Natalie had been so heavily talked about associated with artificial life that had so, so many long conversations with, uh, with Steve Grand. Dick and I were only able to exchange uh, brief, brief discussion points uh, associated with things like Biota 5. But it was wonderful to meet Dick Gordon. Uh, we touched a number, number of areas. I see uh, Gerald de Jong in the chat. We talked a little bit about Gerald de Jong and some collaborative work that Dick is trying to uh, get together with Gerald. But we also talked about Biota 5. And in previous podcasts, I talked a bit about Biota 5, and Dick and I have agreed that we need to, uh, to work more closely with regards to what will actually be in Biota 5. It looks like everything I've said in the past is true, in terms of it being a, a combination of, of different ideas all coming together in the one conference. But the actual format of the conference still needs to be worked out. So Dick and I will be going through that over the next couple of months uh, with the view that Biota 5 will really be a, uh, well, a worthy, a worthy conference. This is the 50th episode of Biota Live, and one of the topics for this evening will be going through, uh, you know, what it's been like in terms of producing and recording and doing the kind of outreach that BiotaLive provides. And in this vein, uh, Jeffrey Ventrella and I have been working together over the past couple of weeks to move Jeffrey's projects into the open source. Some background with regards to this, uh, probably two years ago now, uh, Roy Plotnick came on a Biota chat to talk about if artificial life could explain the Cambrian explosion. And Roy's, what Roy said in that relatively, well, it was an hour and a half, but probably 20 minutes of Roy talking really inspired me for you know the, the next two years, certainly with regards to my writing and also with regards to my thinking associated with artificial life. So I've been interested to get involved, well, to get involved with a, a Roy Plotnick-related project and in reading some of Roy's more recent publications, it occurred to me that what Roy is writing about in the kind of pre-Cambrian creatures irking their way between feeding grounds is exactly the same as Jeffrey Ventrella's gene pool. And so putting these two things together, I contacted Jeffrey and fed him a wide variety of, uh, of Roy's uh, papers. I think I sent him three or four papers, just pointing out that there was a real need in kind of contemporary research for the kind of swimming creatures. And similarly, Roy Plotnick, I don't know how long Roy's been writing these feeding ground simulations, but he's been doing it for well, since the early biota, since probably biota one or biota two. And he has a lot of legacy Fortran code, 
which really could be moved into open source as well. Working over the past couple of weeks, I've assisted Jeffrey to move one of his projects into open source. I mean, if you've heard previous narrative with uh, with Jeffrey on, he's been pretty positive about moving his stuff open source, but just concerned about the time frame, and obviously it's a new process for him. So uh, over the past couple of weeks, I've been assisting him moving a, a project called Melody Ball into uh, SourceForge, and we finally got it all checked in and, and public last night. So it was quite a, a breakthrough. Jeffrey Ventrella now has one open source project. The view is that he has another artificial life light project associated with walkers moving over a sphere that he wants to move open source prior to gene pool. So he and I will be working probably for the next couple of months moving these three projects open source with gene pool being the final project. But it's been a wonderful process. I mean, I think there are many of us in the community that talk about open source in quite a positive light. And certainly there are still people in the community that have closed source projects. And assisting Jeffrey over the past couple of weeks and with the view that Roy Plotnick will also get involved um, with regards to moving his, his Fortran code open source and then collaborating with Jeffrey to produce these amazingly kind of rich feeding ground environments with 3D visualization, and I think things that are going to be really quite inspirational. It's all to do with, you know, the early senses, creating early sight, creating early kind of touch and probing and sensing, and I think all those things fit together wonderfully. So the project is yet unnamed. We had kind of joked about calling it Dawkins Puddle back when it was just Jeffrey moving gene pool. Uh, open source, but I don't know what the project will be called into the future, but that I think is an exciting collaborative project, so I just wanted to let the community know about that, and I've certainly uh, lent a bit of energy into it over the past week and a bit, uh, basically to move Jeffrey, or one of Jeffrey's projects at least, open source, so he can kind of test his toe in the water, so to speak. And I'm really interested in exciting new projects, be they collaborative projects, folks who are uh, just at university currently, or perhaps, you know, like William R. Buckley, creating projects from long-legacy interest and long-legacy history associated with artificial life. I think the, the community has a number of practitioners that have long, long-term long projects that they've been developing, but I'm always interested in hearing about new projects and potentially also collaborative old projects. So I think what I'm trying to achieve with regards to getting Jeffrey and Roy Plotnick together is creating something new out of two historical artificial life developments. So it's going to be interesting what happens in the future with regards to that. I wanted to talk a little bit with regards to Steve Grand as well, because my hope was to get Steve Grand in the podcast uh, over the next couple of recordings. Uh, because Steve Grand also, as I mentioned in the last podcast, has been doing stuff with swimmers recently, and he's also been in the kind of communication associated with this Ventrella Plotnik Barbele associated project. Um, so hopefully Steve Grand will be on, um, if not this show, maybe the next show or maybe the show following, to talk a little bit about um, you know what he's done over the past couple of years and what he sees coming into the future. I have some exciting news as well that I'm going to uh, save the community probably in the next couple of both lives, but I think it'll solve a, a couple of projects, that, uh, a couple of problems rather that I've been seeing with some of the aspects of artificial life in industry and academia, and I think this might be something that uh, a number of folks in the community could get involved with, and particularly with regards to kind of educating the next generation, but I might save that to a, a future 
uh, Biota Live. If you are interested in this idea, though, please get in contact with me, Tom, at noble8.com, uh, and I'll certainly share it with folks who want to get in contact with me early. So this week's topic it was two parts. So originally, I wanted to talk a little bit about open source, and leading up to this, hmm, I can't remember where I was two weeks ago in terms of the Jeffrey Ventrella um, stuff, moving his stuff to open source. But I wanted to talk a little bit about changes at SourceForge uh, and also some of the collaborative discussions that have been going on to date. What's particularly interesting, talking to uh, Bruce Damer, for example, about the Evo Grid, is that I, I floated this idea over the past couple of weeks about the uh, chemical automata. So this idea that the Evo Grid is really more about, rather than chemical simulation, it's about creating chemical automata. And the idea here is that Rather than you know simulating ball and stick or even quantum mechanics, you have quantized space, and within this quantized space, various chemical reactions occur. And this is kind of like the substrate for cellular automata. It's in three dimensions, and it's chemical. And these equations create the underlying structure, which creates, I want to say, almost cellular automata within this 3D space, but obviously simulated on chemical equations. And I started working on this probably last Thursday or Friday in response to some email correspondence with Peter Newman. And um, my thought there was that uh, I wanted to create some software that basically explained what I was trying to explain about this idea of chemical automata. And unfortunately, the, um, the Jeffrey Ventrella work kind of took up a bit of the time, but I wanted to put it out to the community there's a lot of what we discussed associated with this kind of renaissance of cellular automata. That if you go to uh, Gerald Jung's Darwin at Home podcast, you'll hear uh, William R. Buckley calling the Netherlands and participating in a grey thumb associated with Golly. And we have both uh, we have both Gerald and William R. Buckley in the chat. These things are moving in directions where there is potential for a wide variety of new projects and also kind of linking legacy ideas through new projects. And open source really seems to be the catalyst associated with that. So as this is turning into a monologue podcast, I'll return your, your memories back perhaps to the last monologue podcast where I talked a little bit about SourceForge. And thankfully, SourceForge has changed quite dramatically from my, my last monologue with the view that, uh, you know, far less advertising now, far more about the open source and relatively easy to use. The, uh, the assistance that I gave to Jeffrey was mainly just getting his subversion into the, the right version number so he could do check-ins and uh, check-outs and commits and all that wonderful kind of stuff. And I think it's an interface now where even, uh, even kind of long-term naysayers or at least those that were a little tentative associated with open source should have no more problems in terms of actually getting there their software up on SourceForge and starting to participate in, a, in an open community. So that's the update that I wanted to provide with regards to open source. The EvoGrid source, the, the chemical simulation version of the EvoGrid is now online uh, on SourceForge. You can check out the uh, source code that Peter Newman has been uh, developing. I hope to have my uh, chemical automata source code up in the near future as well, which will hopefully explain a little bit more about these, these ideas in source code form. And um, like I said, I talked to Bruce last night. We spent about an hour going through um, what he's going to present in London over the next few few days. And obviously, you know, the, the Evo Grid 
conversation has been uh, pretty dominant through the past 50 Biota Lives. So maybe we should start talking about the, the 50 shows in this regard. Uh, I don't think there's really anything more I wanted to say uh, about open source. Gerald. Hello. Good to talk to you. Have you been listening to my ramblings associated with open source? Yep. So is there anything more that you would want to add about open source? I don't think so. Uh, you've done a good job. Well, as I said in the intro, I had uh, Dick Gordon in town last Friday, and we had a chat about some of the uh, discussion that you'd had with Dick, potential collaborative work associated with simulating proteins with tensegrities. Is that right? Yeah, the idea is that uh, potentially there's uh, tensegrity playing a role in the in the cell cytoskeleton. So uh, Dick and I have been talking about uh, simulating things such that uh, we can you know, we can show what the behavior of tensegrity would be, and uh, you know if we can come up with a model that actually has some features that that we can observe in real cells behaviors or something like that, then uh, then you might be able to uh, make the assertion that there's there's actually something like that going on in the real cell, even though you can't see it directly in the cell. And this all comes through the the embryo second life course, doesn't it? Yes, yes, that's uh, sort of the motivation for going into the course because uh, it's a very multidisciplinary little group in the in the embryo physics course, and uh, and I represent. I'm, I'm basically there not necessarily so much for the biology uh, because that's not my area of expertise at all, but for the fact that I've played around with consecutives and have a real good feel for for what they actually are. It was interesting as well because I explain. I had a, a I spoke during one of the uh, embryo physics courses and, and explained what I could about tensegrity and pointed out what, what they should look for. If if you can uh, observe certain phenomena, then that might be evidence. Actually, the conclusion was more or less that it is not all that probable, probable that uh, tensegrity is involved. The reason is that uh, with tensegrity, you really expect to have rigid segments of uh, of molecules, so the, the the microtubules inside the cell, which Dick, in all of his experience observing them under a microscope and and exploring them all these years, is that they, and 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 of course what other people have seen and observed is that they are sort of like wet noodles rather than uh, you know red sticks. So um, that would sort of suggest that there's something else at at work, although. Uh, who knows? We'd have to uh, we'd have to model it a bit more and see uh, see if there's a potential anyway. There, there's talk of sort of having these little noodle thingies, uh, the microtubules in the in the cell, being um, solidified by the fact that there's all sorts of tension cables in the form of uh, microfilaments as well. So the combination of all these tiny microfilaments can actually, uh, at least in theory, stiffen up the uh, uh, the micro uh, tubules to make them into sort of stiff elements, but I don't know. It's pretty speculative. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, Walter was here. He asked me whether I thought the uh, the Second Life course had been a success, and I said I thought it had been a phenomenal success because it really 
it almost was the kind of second life Graytham in some regard. Yeah, well, it was uh, it was the thing that uh, brought us together with uh, with William Buckley, and he gave us uh, during during the embryo physics course. He gave us a bit of a tour of uh, some things in in Dolly, and that's uh, my initial contact with it, which turned out to be an excellent sort of theme of a Graytham get together. I could recommend it for anybody who wants to uh, to you know to set up a group or something because I just uh, announced it and people took a look at it and we had about 10 people or more uh, appear and um, many of them had their laptops and we actually spent the evening experimenting and, and chatting so that was uh, it was a nice uh, a nice way to have a great meeting and everybody was there was there was a lot of positive feedback afterwards yes i put to bruce that he should ride this wave uh, with the Evo grid, and I have a, a simulation that I'm writing currently, which I'm calling chemical automata, with the view that the chemical equations kind of create the the underlying rule set for the cellular automata, and it, in theory, should produce 3D cell structures similar to, I guess, cellular automata, uh, but with underlying chemistry behind it. And uh, I talked to him last night, and he was quite taken by this idea. I think it's possible. I mean, just looking at the mathematics, it seems to be a a logical way that Bruce could kind of bootstrap the Evo grid relatively quickly and also, uh, as you say, get the immense amount of uh, interest and positive support uh, associated with the the current renaissance in cellular automata. I mean, does that make sense in terms of what we were discussing with the Evo grid and quantization uh, a few weeks ago? So when I think of uh, cellular automaton describing physics, I have to go back to uh, the big thick uh, Wolfram book because uh, that's sort of, I think, where he kind of ended off. He said, uh, maybe we should look for this sort of phenomenon in physics and, and perhaps it will appear to be patterns in the sense of like lights in a, in a, in a marquee going on. You know, you can see the, you can see the letters uh, scrolling by, in, in reality, it's just lights going on and off at, in the right sequence uh, with the right timing. So in, in physics, we might be able to observe that sort of pattern. And that's exactly what you see in Gully as well. You know, you've, uh, it's, it's kind of neat, this, uh, this idea of a cellular automaton, because it's like, you know, look, ma, no hands. You know, you've, you've got a system of cells and a, and a couple of rules, and the whole thing is just on the edge of being stable. So... Uh, based you know the rule sets that are that are just on the edge are the best ones and uh, and it sort of you know has a has a interesting behavior as a as a consequence of this rather than having a program move around it's actually just a pattern moving around and 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 the actual physical things don't move they just either switch on or off so uh, is that sort of the the gist of your uh, chemical automaton idea? Okay, so the chemical automaton idea is the idea that you start with principal gases and their interactions produce liquids but the interactions, the chemical interactions are done within kind of atomic uh, uh, or quantized spatial divisions. So the underlying equations are effectively kind of semi-predator prey, but more cellular automata-like in terms of what you say, this whole notion of being on the edge of stability. So when you pump the system with energy, the interactions between the gases and the liquids create effectively the idea of a kind of solid cell membrane uh, in these equations and this then as you say the problem the problem breaks down because the metaphor the, the only quantization exists in space the gases themselves are actually flowing and the liquids are flowing between the quantized cells but it still produces the same kind of cellular automata appearance 
it has it has combined metaphors, but it's all it, it involves chemical equations which are fundamentally dynamic. So I think the, the quantization that I'm looking at is purely with regards to space and the idea that the gases and the liquids kind of move through these spaces through quite quite set rules. Um, but it's an interesting. I think it was an interesting kind of combination of uh, you know what you folk have been talking about and also the kind of ongoing narrative associated with the Evo grid. And when Dick was here, he and I spent quite a bit of time, well, when I say quite a bit of time, it was all the 15 minutes talking about how Bruce can still get components of the artificial life community involved in the Evo grid if he sets the problems in the kind of right framing. Certainly the discussions with Dick related to where is the Evo grid going, where is the artificial life community, how can Bruce continue to interact with the, I guess, quite positive support that he's received through things like BioLive to date. And this idea came in some regard through correspondence with Peter Newman following maybe the last BioLive recording um, and I think my sense was that if we could create something that was very simple but based on principles in chemistry uh, and yet also had the power of this kind of cellular automata discussion, there could be some novelty that came out of that. Uh, so that was my thinking. But my hope is to put the code up within the next two or three weeks, probably on, on SourceForge, in something that's independent from the Evo grid. So if folks want to tinker with it separately, so much the better. But also that gives the potential for Peter Newman et al. to have a look at it and see if this is the way they want to take the Evo grid. I'm curious how you decided to quantize space. Um, well, I went for just a straight grid. You're curious as to the means of which quanti I quantize space or why I quantize space. No, it's the geometry that interests me always. The geometry is fascinating. I mean, I just picked a... I, uh, I took the boring route, unfortunately, Gerald. However, it is something that can be can be altered. So you could put in a different spatial quantization and test out different properties. In fact, you'll get completely different effects if you put in a different quantization. So the quantization I put in was just a, a straight grid initially, 3D grid, uh, with the view that, for example, your, uh, what was it called, isometric quantization? What? Bucky Fuller called it isotropic, isotropic. vector matrix. Yes, so... You could easily replace it with the isotropic with the isotropic vector matrix to explain that as well. Would you would you consider them to be very different, the one quantization from the other? No, actually, when you put it in a mathematical form, it seemed considerably simpler than. I mean, I imagined a series of uh, twelve-sided quantized three D objects that interlocked in in a curious way. But the mathematics that you put online made it considerably more simple than than twelve-faced. 3D objects. Yeah, well, in the end, uh, you know, they are exactly that. But uh, but the point is, you can you can treat it in an abstract way, which is it, it's just uh, straightforward uh, integer coordinates where uh, the, the x plus y plus z is uh, is even or odd. Certainly, certainly. <laughs> so yes, that quantization could be put in the um, in the chemical automata simulation without any without any trouble but i think just for my initial balancing proof of concept um i've kept it boring and, and square for the time being um but it's mm -hmm. something that could be could be fixed um in you know almost instantly once i just gotten the proof of concept up and running gerald you uh 
you join me tonight, or, the, or in the morning in your time anyway, on a very special Bio to Live. This is the 50th episode uh, associated with this, this long rambling series of conversations. You've been on pretty well since, you know, since the beginning with regards to Bio to Live. What, what's your sense of it after 50 episodes? Um, I don't know. It, I really enjoyed different uh, interviews with people uh, like Larry Yeager, and uh, there's been quite a variety. But at a certain point, you know, you get the same same crowd back uh, a bit too much. It'd be nice to keep uh, keep expanding or, or keep uh, involving other people and other points of view. Yeah, we, we're in constant need of fresh blood, which is my hope with regards to the new project. Uh, call out as well that you know new folks will get involved and it's difficult because i think the the external observer and this certainly has come through the itunes feedback as well the external observer gets the sense that biota is a club you know we're we're each members and you know we've known each other forever and we just get on and like a, a chat line and talk through listening to probably just a couple of episodes and leaving a a review on iTunes, but it's funny because, uh, I mean, I met Dick Gordon for the first time last Friday. Uh, you and I have never met. I mean, the majority of the people we talk with on Biota Live, I mean, you've met more, probably more people in the Biota community than I have. Yeah, well, because of the conferences, actually, because of the, you know, Biota 2 and 3 that I attended. Certainly, certainly. And I'm going to be putting more Biota 3 video out. I, I got a lot of really positive feedback from the Jeffrey and Trello stuff, and, uh, I have, I think, I have a presentation of yours somewhere through there, and uh, a few other people. There's one by Tom Ray that I want to put out. Uh, and I yeah, that's uh, that's that's the one that that, uh, that, that to me the Biota three in um, in San Jose, that the the one where you posted some video of uh, Jeffrey Ventrella. To me, the the big uh, the the biggest sort of influence as far as I was concerned was was being able to hang out with Tom Ray because he had a very very different approach to uh to you know what what it what it meant and and the and the way you can uh, explore I mean he he was uh his his main focus was uh, let's not pretend we're using uh let's not pretend we can simulate our physics or something like it but uh, let's just have these computer creatures live in their own physics, and that's the that's the sort of natural way to do things. And that was Tierra. So that uh, it was it was interesting because everybody else was sort of uh, you know thinking in terms of, for example, 3D, and I was as well, of course. Uh, and and Tom Ray was sort of completely uh, on another uh, on another tack, thinking you know uh, let's let these things live in their physics. Certainly, and you'll be very pleased to know that we'll have Tom Ray on sometime in the near future, actually. He's, oh, superb. He's interested in getting involved with Bios Live. It's, it's 20 years since the start of Tierra uh, coming up. And I did invite him on early, but he said he wanted to come on and make that his first time on Bios Live. I guess he's, he's catching up with the feed um, up until then. But he said sometime in, um, in the Northern Hemisphere um, autumn, which is only a, a few months off, he said probably September, October, November time frame, he'll, uh, he'll come on and we can, we can talk to him about all those ideas and, and possibly a number more. Um, but no, I agree. I think um, looking at the videos in terms of historical legacy, I mean, the thing that caught me about Jeffrey's presentation is that uh, a lot of the stuff that he's developed that we know about was pretty, pretty well distilled in that Biota 3 talk. I mean, that's not 
part of the excitement that I'm uh, motivating with regards to moving GenePool open source is that you can see all the ideas. In fact, and a majority of the software had actually been written in that kind of 1999 time frame. And 10 years on, it really seems like the right kind of time to release that stuff open source, particularly the 3D components. Um, with what Roy Plotnick is doing. So I think the uh, the Biota 3 video will continue to hit the feed. Um, and I think probably Dimitri Terezopoulos and a couple of other folk, I might put their talks into the feed as well. There was a fellow um, who did a presentation on a, a video game environment, which I, was never actually released in the end, but it's a very passionate and quite detailed video game environment for 1999. And I'm probably going to put that in the feed too because I found that fascinating that, you know, artificial life in games, which has been an ongoing uh, narrative as well in the bias lives, um, it was certainly at a relatively mature level even back in 1999 and certainly the ideas associated with stability and um, you know, agent intelligence and all that kind of stuff was uh, was covered. So as we look back on, on 50 episodes, I mean you, you did some quite extraordinary stuff in terms of actually like flying out to Washington DC and getting together with a, a variety of Biota Life participants. So I mean the, the conversations and the connections that you've had on Biota Life have actually motivated some international flight, haven't they? Yeah, and, and I have to admit that it's been the motivation as well to start up the Greatham Group. It's it's really, you know, it's, it's sort of brought that to life. Yes, I mean, I was looking back through the early episodes of both Love. I haven't had the chance to, to listen to some of the earlier episodes, but there were certainly some favourites uh, early on in there in terms of the outstanding questions shows were oftentimes to really do kind of free-form artificial life discussion. I remember we had Travis Sabo and uh, Jeffrey Ventrola on one of the early ones and uh, got some quite interesting sparks. And I remember also the... Um what were Saturday morning shows for me, probably Saturday evening shows for you. I remember the first Evo grid, for example, which unfortunately kind of uh, seemed to manipulate your voice rather horribly. But there were some other quite nice ones associated with artificial life isn't intelligent design and these kind of things that really set the tone for future biota lives. I mean, I thought... The participation in those calls in particular um, really gave a, a clear indication that there would be some interesting discussions coming through. In terms of the folks we've had on, you've mentioned uh, Larry Yeager. I mean, also we've had, obviously, Zan Gill and Mark Badeau. I'm still, uh, still in communication with Mark Badeau, associated with the International Society. Also, I mean, we've had people like Ed Salford, and I do refer back to Ed quite a bit because I have another uh, quite active correspondent who's also working in... Uh, the pharmaceutical industry who does artificial life-related development there. And I think really we've, I've tried to use uh, Biota Live as a, an outreach means for, for folks such as those to get in contact and give us a sense about what, what artificial life is actually being used for in industry. I mean, have you got the sense as well, Gerald? Uh, what, that it's being used in industry? Or, or that, well, the, the Biota Live could act as a carrot in terms of getting people who are using it in industry out and actively talking about it. Yeah, potentially, as long as it's not proprietary information. If somebody's going to be, uh, you know, they, nobody's going to reveal their secrets if it's uh, commercially interesting to keep them secret. And I think another show that interested both you and me equally was the Artificial Life of Plants uh, episode. Uh, with the, the fellow uh, Stefan um, from um, the uh, mathematics school in Paris. And I think that certainly my own thinking, and probably yours as well, um, 
the use of plant simulation in artificial life environments and the kind of problems that uh, Stefan put out there, I thought were absolutely fascinating. Yeah, that was really good to uh, to hear from him because uh, he was uh, you know really using it to uh, do some some research into real plants. Certainly, certainly. And uh, Bruce and I were talking about the artificial life startup uh, Biota Live last night, actually associated with how things have just gotten considerably more bleak <laughs> through the period of recording Biota Live uh, economically. But also, I mean, in, in perfect honesty. Um, our listeners have really dropped off, and certainly the listeners that I've been tracking, the folks who've corresponded me for a long, with me for a long period of time, uh, I pinged half a dozen of them to see, you know, if they were still listening to Biota Live, and all of them, bar one, well, actually, it's not true to say that they were unemployed, but certainly they'd gone through major life events associated with, uh, you know, losing jobs and moving. Um, so I think a, a good portion of the community is really in quite a, a painful state currently. Uh, and really, I guess, and this, this is feedback from the community as well, if we want to continue the discussion associated with the quality of life for artificial life developers, I think that's probably a, a topic of some interest to some of the folks who've, uh, who've corresponded with me. I mean, you, you live as a consultant, Gerald, so I mean, you, you probably see some of this pain, although I'm not sure the Netherlands is in a similar state to the US currently. No, it's it's not quite as bad, or at least not yet. Typically, um, every every kind of economic event or, or you know phenomenon blows westward, or at least no, sorry, blows eastward across the ocean and eventually gets to Europe. So I think we might uh, might experience a bit more difficulties in the, as time goes on. But until now, at least I've been uh, sort of spared. And uh, actually, I've got a situation set up now that, that might be really advantageous. I've got uh, potentially uh, a contract for uh, mornings so that I can spend every afternoon on Darwin at home. And if that turns out to be the case, that's going to be uh, that's going to allow me to really get some stuff uh, refined because, uh, it's, you know, it's starting to get to the point now where I'm almost ready to set up a, a very basic uh, demo version to, to just play around with some of the gaming ideas and um, yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, to working it out and uh, and I think uh, from September onwards I will have the opportunity to really do some uh, some heavy development yes the the working in the mornings is uh, is a killer setup I had I mean the, the Stockholm rewrite of no blank occurred when I was effectively working in the mornings in Stockholm, I did have some all-day meetings, but I think probably you know, three or four days a week I basically had the, the afternoons and evenings to work on it. Oh, yeah, I mean, you, just, you have enough going on that you can, come, you can uh, cover costs, but then, uh, then you, know, you can sort of stay even and, and get some other stuff done. That's really fun. Certainly, certainly. I think the... The presentation, one of the three presentations I'm going to give at uh, Greytham in September in the Bay Area relates to uh, how we use this time to, to strengthen the artificial life community and create better conferences, better projects, better books and, and better industries that all all use the stuff that we've been talking about for such a long period of time. We have William R. Buckley in the chat, and I'll just read what William is typing. It has often been remarked that the quality of science is inversely related to the association of funding with government or corporate organizations. Thus, one might conclude 
that the quality of research in fundamental areas of science will increase as a consequence of funding losses. After all, when paid, my time is directed away from areas of research interest uh, to areas of import to the employer. And there seems to be a general here here from, uh, from the chat with regards to William's comments. I, I think there's an element of truth to that. I think there could be a comfortable line where... Um, Bruce was talking to me about a, a fellow who lives near um, their house in um, New Jersey uh, who's associated with a, a major pharmaceutical corporation and Bruce had been talking to him about the Evo grid associated with cancer research and these kind of things. And I think certainly within, within industries that you may associate with artificial life but wouldn't actively associate with artificial life research, there's certainly a receptiveness, and I mean, this is, the, this is the games industry fundamentally as well. There's certainly a receptiveness to what we do in the sense that, uh, you know, perhaps if we tweaked it in particular directions or perhaps if we, uh, you know, if we devoted our mornings to the corporation and our evenings to our, uh, our afternoons and evenings to our own research, that there may be something that comes out of that of mutual benefit. You've been, uh, have you been with the architects for a year now, Gerald? Am I right in that? Um, let me see. Yeah, it's uh, it's been uh, a little more than a year now. Yeah. And in terms of, I know I noticed in the last uh, Darwin at Home podcast, you mentioned that there were certain things that you were doing that sparked their interest more now than when you first started there. Do you do you get the sense that there is potential overlap between what you do and what the architects do? Yeah, it, it'll be. It, it remains to be seen, of course. But the thing that uh, I'm working on now that seems to be catching their interest a bit is is the um, uh, generating of uh, of bodies uh, for for the Darwin home game that I'm working on and and because I'm I'm generating on the basis of tetrahelix segments so uh, it's a, a very different sort of look and uh, they're turning out to be wonderful potential log, uh, walkers so I think I really hit on something useful for the for for making the game uh, sort of that much easier to uh, to, to uh, get accustomed to, um, but the thing is, I'm generating uh, in, in my um, experimentation. I'm generating, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these different uh, bodies on based on tetrahelixes. And every once in a while, I, I've got it set up so that I can do some aesthetic selection. So basically, I have a, a population on the screen, and I can kill every one of them that I don't think is. Uh, is pretty enough, and uh, it gets replaced with a mutation of one of the other existing ones. So it's just a very simple thing. I think uh, even Dawkins had something like this in, a, in an early book of his. It's called Biomorphs, where it was Isn't just it? a two D, yeah, two D representation, and, and you basically, uh, you know, bred uh, bred creatures by uh, by clicking on, you know, making choices, and uh, you know the behind the scenes. Uh, in this uh, aesthetic simulation or aesthetic selection thing that I have right now is, is of course, the blind watchmaker randomly deciding how to build these bodies uh, step by step by adding uh, symmetrically left and right, uh, adding tetrahelix segments. And it turns out to, to produce structures that are really kind of cool looking. And uh, so, you know, every time something turns up that, that looks pretty cool, I uh, call one of the architects over to take a look and uh, and they're they're really scratching their chins now. They're looking at it and saying, "Hey, uh, this 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 first of all, this could be built." And uh, 
And second of all, it's uh, it looks interesting. It looks, you know, it's got an interesting shape to it. So, who knows? Maybe I'll be able to have some sort of collaboration uh, involving, um, you know, generating generating structures that eventually get built. Yes, I mean the legacy, and I I personally think of it associated with the uh, artificial life of plants or the the plant um, artificial life simulations. In I guess the late nineties, I uh, got a grant with. Uh, the CSIRO, the Commonwealth Science and Industry Research Organisation in Australia, um, to produce a game called The Mushroom Boy. And part of that was actually creating suburbs using artificial life simulation principles. And the suburban houses were actually artificial life trees with the intersections making the rooms uh, and these kind of things. So I think the, the legacy of architecture and abstract kind of artificial life form certainly um, it resounds to me as well. And I think... The, yeah, the I, think, I think the, uh, a lot of the, uh, the, the things in, the, in that area, the most, the most useful stuff you can do on artificial life terms and, and perhaps even straight-up uh, cellular automaton terms is uh, are, you know, tackling issues of urban planning. Exactly. Where, where Things have uh, influence on neighbors, you know, and uh, that's that's very true in urban planning. I think cellular automaton can can go quite a ways to, uh, you know, make uh, macro simulations of what happens in a city. Yes, well, I mean, certainly writing my uh, fascination with quantum mechanics, I had uh, commerce functions and transportation functions and all these kind of things and grew the suburbs based on on that kind of stuff. But as we come to the kind of tail end of tonight's show... Celebrating um, Bios Alive 100 in a year and a half's time, what do you see? Where do you see we'll be then, Gerald? Oh, well, you mean I'm going to have to look into the future here? Yes. Um, well, where will we be? Well, we'll, we'll all be uh, able to uh, play with the Darwin at Home game, of course. Uh, Very good. And we'll, and, uh, we'll be uh, eating each other. That's, that's one thing. Um, no, other than that, I don't know. Uh, I, uh, I, I would I would hope that I mean it, it was it was I have to come back to the last great time I had here in the Netherlands because it was just fascinating to do it uh, in a, in a workshop form and to uh, to see people uh, getting a taste of essentially something that they they have never seen before and for me that was the case as well there were a number of things that I had never really understood about how people had been playing with cellular automaton and what they had actually done with it. And uh, of course, William tipped me on this, and uh, and it turned out to be such a uh, an interesting uh, evening amongst a bunch of people who really don't uh, have that much of a connection with artificial life, you know. So it was uh, it was something that was able to uh, pique the interest and, and get some people uh, sort of involved who wouldn't have been otherwise. So I can uh, I, I hope that uh, that there's more stuff for people to play with and that uh you know that that there's the uh, the software basically plays the role of uh of uh, you know artifacts that bring people into the uh the, the this kind of thinking and with the view that we'll have tom ray on within the next couple of months aside from tom um the three potential guests on biota live that you'd like to see I'd have to think about that a bit more. I've, I've, I would really love to hear Tom uh, talk. Um, but, uh, you know, of course, Carl Sims, why not? Certainly. 
uh, Stephen Waltham. <laughs> yes, bit of a risk. Yes. Although, mm, yeah, I don't know. I've I've heard Stephen Waltham talk recently, and I don't know. Well, yeah, maybe the Pious Alive crowd would, crowd would give him respect, but I don't know. I don't think he. I don't think he would be. Uh, you know, it, it, he's probably somebody who really has a, a, a solid focus on on things uh, on on other things. So he wouldn't really necessarily be terribly interested in the artificial life angle, although I'm sure he could uh, tell us a lot about cellular, cellular automata. What would also be cool is to um, somehow find a way to to locate people, more people in academia who are doing things that they might even not even call artificial life, but they, they would be uh, you know, very much interpretable in that way, just to, just to find out who's doing something you know, sufficiently related that it'd be interesting to interview them. People who are not necessarily known Certainly. and people who, whose names I couldn't come up with, but, you know, just uh, University X, uh, PhD student Y, uh, what, you know, what are they working on? Uh, so that, just to find out if there are more projects that we can be inspired by. The plant simulation, for example, uh, you know, where, where, did that, where did that come from? Where can we find more of that? Very much so. And I mean, we, we got uh, Ken Stanley on early on, and he's certainly gone on to do amazing and interesting things. And if folks in the community know of people who would be ideally suited for this kind of discussion, and like, like few of the participants, they don't even have to be primarily associated with artificial life. If they have something that can you know, fit in with the broader narrative, so much the better. And I think what I'm trying to do um, with Bruce in terms of the folks that he meets with the Evo grid is... Uh, is encourage folks to participate. There's a fellow, I think, called Rob Tao, who Bruce has been talking to for quite a bit, and he might be an interesting fellow in the biota community, and there are various other people uh, that Bruce is meeting through his... Uh, I, well, I mean, there's this potential for Stuart Kaufman, actually, to come on Bio Live as well. Um, so in terms of the kind of historical legacy folk, there may be potential for all these people participating in the next 50 shows. In terms of um, future collaborations and projects, I mean, obviously the Evo Grid has dominated. I talked a little bit this evening about uh, the Jeffrey Ventrola, Roy Plotnick, kind of Tom Barbelay cheerleader project that I'm working on currently. I mean, do you see potential in that kind of stuff into the future too, Gerald? Uh, of course, there's potential. I'm not really focusing on it at the moment um, because I want to, you know, I'm working on my own thing for, for the time being fairly, fairly intensely. I might uh, be able to uh, set up a collaboration with uh, very different kinds of people, like, for example, uh, getting an artist involved, uh, somebody who can really give it a give, give the the stuff I'm working on a you know a visual uh, theme and you know a, a very you know coherent uh, visual appearance. That would be really cool to have a collaboration like that because that's not no i, I think that's cool. critical and certainly that was my thinking looking at Roy plotnik's very simple kind of fortran graph output and thinking about uh, the potential of him working with someone like jeffrey ventrella is as you say it's a matter of bringing together people with different skill sets but a kind of shared vision uh, and i think you know there's, there's quite a, a number of potential projects that could come out in the next 50 bios live episodes and certainly for the community i mean please utilize bios live as a vehicle to do this kind of stuff if you have a, an interest and you're looking for similar like-minded folk uh, please come on bios live and certainly i'll uh, promote it through the grace blog and the grace meetings still seem to be uh, 
still seem to be occurring with some frequency both in the Bay Area and in Boston and occasionally in the Netherlands as well. Um, I get still quite a bit of correspondence from folks in uh, various parts of the world. The, the Southern California area seems to be uh, a good point of contact too. There seems to be a lot going on. Uh, Dimitri Terezopoulos, who was... Uh, did Dimitri... Dimitri was at Biota 3, wasn't he, Gerald? Um, he was at Biota 3. He was also at Biota 2. Yes. Well, Dimitri spoke at uh, Gecko in Montreal this week. And I got quite a bit of correspondence associated with Dimitri's talk because he made good reference to the artificial life community. He may even have referenced Biota. I'll need to go back through my emails and check. But Dimitri certainly had a, a pile of uh, Biota CDs sent to him sometime last year. Uh, and he's someone who, um, under him, I mean, he's a, he's a vice-chancellor at UCLA. Uh, he has half a dozen projects which, if they aren't explicitly artificial life related, certainly have a good peppering of artificial life through them. Um, there are a few listeners, actually. The um, project that deals with PTSD of Iraq and Afghan veterans that uses um, various smells and these kind of things, uh, there are a couple of um, the PhDs involved with that who listen to Bios Live, and I'll, I'll give shout-outs to them. Michael Brewer is the only name that comes to mind um, but I think he, he's just at UCLA doing other stuff, so I've, I've successfully forgotten the names of the folks involved with the particular research I've mentioned. Um, but, yeah, the power of having someone like Dimitri, someone who's been part of the artificial life community for 15, 20 years now, in a position of real power in a university, shows itself through the kind of uh, projects that are coming out at UCLA currently. I think there's hope for us all, Gerald. Yeah, I have, I have real distinct memories of uh, of Dimitri presenting his uh, you know realistic fish. Those were really fascinating. The whole uh, school of swimming fish, and they were all uh, in, uh, autonomous. And uh, and I think he got some gigs in Hollywood with that sort of stuff. Well, I think he stayed in LA pretty well ever ever since. And certainly the stuff that's coming out at UCLA, and also his ability to to talk at conferences like Gecko, certainly motivated. A few emails arriving in my intro, which was always nice to uh, nice to see. So, Gerald, once again, I'd like to thank you for participating in this uh, slightly special anniversary uh, Biota Live episode. And in terms of the the previous Biota Lives, you've touched on uh, a number that you've both listened to and participated in. But in terms of the kind of broader themes associated with Biota Live going into the future, we've talked about new projects, we've talked about guests. In terms of just the general discussions, I mean, obviously this is something that you've enjoyed up until now too. Yeah, um, I don't know. Are you considering sort of changing formats or anything like that? I mean, the only concern that I have with regards to the current format is just that if it's not addressing the issues associated with, um, you know, the kind of mass exodus of, of workers from the uh, from the folks who are listening to Biota Live, then maybe we may we may need to start injecting those kind of discussions into the into the uh, the format of the show. But I mean, I think I'm relatively happy with the format of Biota Live. I would like to get new. Participants, I would like to get a diversity of topics. We did record on the swine flu very briefly, but that was unfortunately the recording that was lost. So occasionally there are topical elements that we can discuss. But like you say, I mean, I think what's critical is having the right mix of 
new participants, new projects, historical folk. Um, you know, I think we've pretty well done to death the intelligent design and other related uh, questions. Although the Cathedral and the Spider was one of my favourites with, I think, you, me, Bruce and Dick and Natalie Gordon on that one. So, I mean, I think there have been some in there that have touched on recurring topics that have also been quite enjoyable. Um, so, no, I mean, do you think it needs a format change? Uh, no, but I really have enjoyed the interviews that, that have been done. So, uh, you know, the, the, just getting fresh blood in in the form of, uh, hey, can I talk to you for a while on online and uh, and send it out on a podcast is, uh, I think, a really good uh, thing to mix in with the uh, the chats because uh, it doesn't seem to be, you know, a great number of people having a lot to uh, to report in the, in the discussion sort of forum. You know, we have we occasionally get into a really interesting discussion, but uh, it'd be nice to to sort of alternate that with more interview format. Certainly, and I think the interview format also motivates future discussion as well. But I mean, to talk to the community, this is really an open forum, and if there are topics that people want to have discussed, I think looking through the fifty or so eight um, stuck out to me as topics that had been submitted by others, um, in particular. Uh, the secret source one stuck out to me as a, a topic um, that Adam Eremenko submitted, I think, early in the early in the um, in the series of both lives. Uh, but I mean, if other if other folk in the community or, or Adam once again wants to submit topics, and particularly if you want to, uh, you know, if you want to submit a topic and have, uh, I don't know, Gerald and uh, William R. Buckley and various other participants, Travis Sava, Robert Rice, these kind of folk on particular topics, with the question, please do email me your, your, you know, your wish list of speakers because I'll certainly try to make that happen too. Mm-hmm. So, Gerald, um, you've released two um, Darwin at Home podcasts recently. One seemed to be almost kind of coming through a Jurassic forest. I, I do wonder about the environment you live in. <laughs> yeah, it just... Uh... It, when I listen to them again afterwards, it also sounds funny to me because uh, you know you've got these these uh, for, for the the previous one I had a couple of birds that were fighting with each other and uh, and this last one was uh, you know you just got these uh, these these echoing uh, songs uh, of of or and and you know battles of these these birds in the bush you know they're just very. Uh, aggressive and there's well, I think going on the in the insects back. as well. I mean, the insect noise is so great. I can imagine these birds coming to feed on the insects too. Yeah, yeah well, it's uh, it's pretty warm and, uh, and uh, moist here in general at this time of year. So uh, it's it's nice to go for a walk in the bush and record on my little MP3 recorder anyway. So uh, it's a nice way to uh, to get out. Certainly. And we have a topic from the chat I think fits in very neatly with our next show. So I might close up this evening's discussion by, uh, again, thanking you, Gerald, and read William R. Buckley's uh, topic in the chat, which I think would easily map on to next uh, Biota Live. So his topic is um, funding as related to research effort might be a good topic for a Biota Live panel discussion. So this idea of um, getting real scientists interested in artificial life and getting them interested in terms of getting them funded. And the topic that I had put down for the next show was applied uses of artificial life in science and industry, which I think would map very well onto William R. Buckley's topic. So I would like to invite William R. Buckley onto the next Bios Alive so we can discuss his, his ideas in full in the, the framing of the topic 
July 31st. The topic is Applied Uses of Artificial Life in Science and Industry. I look forward to having William R. Buckley on. I hope also to have Steve Grand on uh, one of the future Biota Lives. He certainly has been very interested in the format to date, and he's been listen, listening. He listened to the last EvoGrid discussion we had, Gerald, actually, with Bruce, and uh, sent me about four pages worth of email based on that discussion. Not a lot of it oh, aired, aired publicly, though. It was... Uh, I think he's he's even more of a naysayer than you are with regards to some components of it. So it will be uh, interesting to have him on. Yeah. Well, thanks once again, Gerald, and thanks for the folks for listening in. This has been 50 episodes of Biota Live, and I'm looking forward to 50 more. Thank you all. Bye-bye.